At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. In a culture growing in hostility, it's clear how far we are from what the kingdom of God should look like. As followers of Christ, it can be difficult to stand firm in what we are taught and what we believe in. It's easy to let idols slip into our lives without us even realizing it, especially when the world we live in puts people on a pedestal. In our new series, Daniel, The Clash of Cultures, we'll be looking at the life of Daniel and how even then Daniel had to navigate a culture who opposed God. We'll discover how we can put our trust in God regardless of our circumstances and how God is sovereign over all. Join us this new year as we study the life of Daniel and learn how to apply the truths inside this book to our own lives. Thanks, you can be seated. Thank you, worship team, for leading us today. Some good truths we sang. I encourage you to open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. As Bill said, we have the chance of beginning a series today on this, this book written by, guess who? Daniel. Ah, yes, you're brilliant. Such scholars in the room. Daniel wrote this, uh, chronicled his experience of living as an exile in the Babylonian captivity. Uh, maybe you learned about this moment in your history of civilization course in high school or college uh, when King Nebuchadnezzar uh, wielded his world empire uh, and, and certainly swallowed up the nation of Israel. Have you ever visited a foreign country? And not Canada. I'm not talking about taking a ferry across to Walpole Island. I remember when I visited the country of Ukraine way back, went right after they established independence from the smothering USSR. So it was back in 1994. Uh, they're only three years removed from Soviet reign, and there was still that oppressive, suspicious uh, tone across the country. Um, and the host family that we stayed with was very kind. They served us wonderful, true, authentic Ukrainian food, which means we had borscht at every meal. Borscht is like a cabbage soup, which you probably have for breakfast, right? Uh, well, breakfast, lunch, dinner, uh, every meal. Borscht is one of the courses. And at this time in Ukraine, there was a law that said you had to register at the at the police station of your destination within 24 hours of arriving. And so our team tried to be true to that law, and we, we went there, and it was the former KGB office. Uh, had all that same, same scowls and spirit of questioning, and uh, our host family tried to prepare us for it and said, now, we just need you to be quiet. So when we go in, just stay in the background, we'll, we'll talk, we'll fill out papers for you. We may need to pay a fee um, to make sure that we're able to allow you to stay. Don't make eye contact, but don't, do, don't talk amongst yourselves, just come in and sit in the chairs that they provide for us. So that was intimidating in itself. 
But by that time, I had a lunch and a supper and a breakfast, all with borscht. (laughs) And I don't know if it was the exhaustion, the lack of sleep, the stress of being in uh, such a community, or if it was the borscht. But I was uneasy about a lot of things. <laughs> I was uneasy about, what do you mean, the fee? We don't pay fees. That's called bribery. I don't think that's what we should be doing. I was nervous about suspicious looks and what I've learned about in my government classes about the Soviet Empire. And I don't know what's happening to my stomach. But something is. So we go in, and we go into that dark air room, and we find our chairs. And I'm trying to sit still. We're not talking. I was glad with that. But man, I could, I could feel it. And I, I prayed, and I sought God's powerful work in my life. And eventually, I just knew, I got to get out of here. So I darted out of that room, barely made it to the door and deposited my lunch, dinner, breakfast right on the steps of this police station. Oh, it felt so terrible in so many ways. But the worst moment was I felt my elbows grabbed by two people and was roughly escorted away from the building towards this back wall where there was this shed where I knew that's where the firing squad is. I know that's what's going to happen. And they're jabbering and rough Russian, moving me out there. And what I, what I thought they were saying sounded kind of like, you've broken our laws, now you must die. <laughs> was probably something like, puke over here, you gross American. I don't know. I don't know what they said, but they left me there all by myself. They went back in, and apparently they gave us permission to stay in their country. Being in a foreign country can be a lot of fun. It can also be very disorienting, especially when you begin to encounter cultural realities that begin to clash with yours. Even it has nothing to do with borscht in your belly, but has more to do with things that we assume to be right, suddenly are, or, or see, assume to be wrong, suddenly are forced upon us by this foreign culture. Well, that was Daniel's experience from the very beginning. As we see over these next six chapters, Daniel was one of the youths uh, that was on the upper echelon in the culture of Israel that was exiled and brought into the culture to be indoctrinated and and culturalized into the Chaldean culture. And it began to experience these clashes. And it's not simply a history lesson, but more of a theology lesson that Daniel gives to us. Helping us understand that God is sovereign. In fact, this morning, I hope we see that God is sovereign over all cultural influences. That was true in Daniel's life, and it's true in ours. 
In Daniel's time encountering Babylon, he encountered a culture that has really saturated all through Scripture. We see Babylon first mentioned in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Remember the Tower of Babel? This is that same area, uh, a place in history where the pride and arrogance of humanity sought to live without God as a source of strength. We see Babylon mentioned in the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, when John records the vision, and Babylon is, is personified as that influence, really, of immorality. In Daniel's day, the Babylonian culture was one of arrogance, and violence, immorality, and pride. And Daniel helps us know, how do we live loyal to the kingdom of God when we, are, when we find ourselves in a culture that's hostile to him? How do we live believing that God is sovereign over our cultural circumstances? That's our goal this morning. To just touch, and as we just begin, touch on that idea. How do we remain loyal to God in the midst of a hostile culture? So Daniel chapter 1. We don't have time to read the entire chapter. Again, as Bill mentioned, being part of a life group would be a big help to you uh, to dive more into this chapter. Or if you're not able to do that, uh, studying with that, that study guide that has been provided would be a wonderful help. There's a personal study that would help you dive into this entire chapter. But first of all, as we seek to remain loyal, we need to, one, recognize, number one, recognize the cultural influence that's around us. As I read these first seven verses, so hang with me, there's seven of them, funny names and all, um, try to notice the cultural influences that are seen that Daniel's experiencing. All right, here we go, Daniel 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah... Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal families and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding, learning and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. At the end of that time, they were to be stand before the king. Among them were Daniel... Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. So right off the bat, we see that Daniel is giving us history, yes... But he's helping us understand that God is writing history. That this is his story. That God's always involved in the affairs of men. He isn't just telling us about history. He's revealing 
God's control in human history. He says, the Lord gave Judah to the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, in Nebuchadnezzar's perspective, it was his military savvy and his great leadership and his powerful army. But Daniel knew that, no, actually God's involved in this. He had evidence of it because all through their history, God warned the nation of Israel, follow me and I will bless you, but reject me and rebel and I'll bring judgment. I'll bring foreign nations to bring judgment upon you. But they still rebelled. God, through his prophets, became more specific as time went on. He said, if you don't repent and turn back to me, I will send the Babylonian Empire. Still, they didn't repent and turn to him. And the Babylonian Empire, the army, besieged Judah. God gave Judah into their hand. This is God's work. Israel was now a conquered disgraced and exiled people living in a foreign land. And these young men were now being influenced by the Chaldean culture in several ways, three ways that I saw. One, I saw them being influenced through what maybe we can call socialization. In many ways, similar to what Nazi Germany did, attempting to form a superior race, they gathered and valued and, and um, embraced the, the brightest and the best, the smartest, the most physically adept, the, the upper echelon of human specimens. That would create even more strength for their empire. It's exactly what Nazi Germany did and disposed of those that they determined as weak. This conflicted with the culture of Daniel. Why? Well, Daniel and his friends were raised with this idea of actually God honors the weak and the oppressed. All throughout their law, they saw different guidelines for their society. When there was a widow, you especially take care of her. Where there's orphans, you minister to her because God's heart is for the weak. He would send his Messiah to come to the oppressed and the imprisoned. In the sick. So this was exactly contrary to the culture that they knew was of God. Secondly, we see an influence of education. The king ordered the eunuchs to teach them the things of the Chaldeans, teach them the language, teach them the literature, the wisdom that they had attained, and wise they were, learned they were. Some have even suggested these three years maybe as a hint to the foundation of our university system. That, well, if you work hard enough, you can do it in three years. But three or four years, you can get yourself a master's degree or a bachelor's degree and, and be in that leadership of, of society. So there's education, there is religion. The verses tell us that the names of these young men were changed. And it doesn't. Our text doesn't give us the meaning of the names, but once you know the meaning, you can see that influence, right? There's Daniel, which, by the way, when you read your scriptures and you see names in scripture, especially Jewish names, the suffix of the name is important. Whenever you see names that end in E-L, 
like Daniel or Joel or Ezekiel. That L is the suffix short for Elohim. So it's a name that has some reference to the name of the God of the Bible. The same with the, the suffix of Yah, Elijah, another Jeremiah, right? Those are, those are suffixes of Yah reminding us of the name Yahweh, another name for the God of the Bible. So each one of these names mentioned, Daniel, the name means God is my judge. His name was changed to Belteshazzar, which means Baal will protect me. Hananiah means God is gracious. The name was changed to Shadrach. Aku was a, was a god in the Babylonian culture. Shadrach means Aku inspires me. Mishael means who is what God is. Is changed to the name belonging to Aku. Azariah means helped by God. Changed to Abednego means servant of the god Nego. Their identity, even in their names, that was linked to the god of their forefathers is now changed. That cultural influence. We're going to give you a name now so your identity can be found in our gods. Strong influences in this culture. Theologian Richard Shaw once stated, there is no such thing as morally neutral education. All education seeks a moral influence on its learners, determined by its moral slant. Don't ever forget that. All education has a moral slant, seeking an influence. You don't have to look further than Harvard University, which has been in the news recently. It was founded in the 1600s with the motto, Truth for Christ and the Church. It was designed and formed as a place to train ministers and missionaries to take the gospel of Jesus to the world. In the 1800s, the motto was changed. The last phrase was, was erased. Veritas became their motto, truth, just truth. You can define what is truth. Society can define what is truth, which results now in the 21st century of the leadership not being able to give a moral answer, having embraced a secular mindset that says freedom of speech is more valuable than the protection of of people. Education has a moral influence. Scripture warns us of influence. Scripture warns us, and Paul, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, uh, or 2 Corinthians 13, to not be outwitted by Satan as a result of ignorance of his tactics, that we should be aware of the influences of culture through our media, through our education through entertainment. This is the first lesson when we think of living for God in a culture that can be hostile towards him is one, just be aware. Start with that. Be aware that there are moral influences all around us. 
Secondly, awareness isn't enough, of course. Secondly, we need to know and see from Daniel that we must remain dependent on God. In the midst of our culture, we need to remain dependent on him. Verse 8, here's what Daniel did. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. This is just the first. We're going to see this many times over these next six chapters where Daniel and his friends risk their lives in maintaining their holiness, their, their loyalty to God. That idea of Daniel resolving in his heart, that word resolved indicates a deliberate act of the will motivated by a deep-seated conviction. That Daniel had embraced these truths. He deeply believed them. This wasn't just something that he had when it was convenient. This was at the core of his life. He believed this. And his decisions were made from that belief. He had a dependence upon God. Here it's speaking to those strict dietary laws of the Jewish people. The kosher laws. Leviticus 14 talks a lot about what those, what those laws were. But they were given less for health benefits, though there were some, but more for identity. That God said, you will be my people. Here's the law so that you would be marked as my people. The rest of the world will eat all these different things, but this will be something, one of the many things, that will mark you as my people. So eat this way. For the old covenant, that was part of the old covenant. We experienced the new covenant today. We celebrated that today. Interestingly, Jesus gave us also food to mark us as his people. In the new covenant, he said, eat this. This bread will remind you of my body. This juice will remind you of my blood. This will mark you. This, is, this does not cause you to be my children, but this is just an evidence to others as you proclaim my death and my resurrection. This will mark you. And for Daniel, living under the old covenant, what marked him, one of those things, was the dietary laws. And and he believed that at the core of his being, that his identity was found in Yahweh. So he appealed to the eunuch and said, would you give us 10 days? Would you give us 10 days to eat of the food that, is, that God has commanded us to eat and see how it goes? And they were found after those 10 days, simple 10 days found to be healthier than all the rest of the students in that cultural system. The Lord's intervention at work. Daniel's driving home this point to us that we are kept by the power of God. That as we remain loyal to him, he will guard us, he will protect us, he will strengthen us. We're not guarded by our own intellect, even our own behavior or our own determination, but we're sustained by a God who is merciful and gracious and sovereignly in control of all things. So trust him. 
Remain loyal to him in the midst of a culture that seems to be pushing us in a different direction. Third, we see Daniel, as a result, receiving divine favor from his God. Verse 17, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And as they saw after 10 days, all how they had risen to the top amongst their peers. They were brought to the king, and the king then examined them. And here's what it says in verse 20. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. King Cyrus was the king of the Medo-Persian Empire, which means after the Babylonian Empire fell and the Persians took over, Daniel was still in a place of influence. And again, in this passage, we see the phrase, God gave. God gave them favor. God gave them this wisdom. God gave them this success. God is ruling. So this story isn't for us to say, oh, if I eat kosher, I can pass my calculus exam. No, that's, that's not the point. It's not a story to help us know how we can perform better. This is an account given in God's word to help us understand that God preserved his people when a hostile culture appeared to be stronger than their own. God preserved them. That any thought that an ungodly, secular, atheistic culture is growing stronger and ruling over a culture of God is preposterous because there is no power of man that's stronger than the power of God. He is always in control, He always rules. He allows certain things to happen, but never does it fall out of the hand of his control. And third, that any time that God's people honor God by trusting and obeying him will bring him great glory. And that God's people are consistently called to live loyal and dependent on him, regardless of of what the culture influence is. So, here God provided Daniel with this incredible favor. They began to rise above their peers, placed in positions of influence. They had, they had success. They had uh, places of position. And we'll see through these next several chapters how God used them in those roles. Notice he doesn't call them to hide from culture. This isn't God's plan. Don't think for a moment that as we study Daniel, we'll say, so culture's so bad, get away from it. No, no, Daniel was there in the midst of culture. He lived there in the Babylonian culture for, what, 50 years? And then continued in the Medo-Persian culture, which was also pagan. But he had influence. And that's what God calls us to as his children, to live in a culture where God has placed us and seek the welfare of the city where he has placed us, but always do it in a way where we remain dependent on him and committed to his culture, the culture of the kingdom. 
was talking to Gary Bolak, who lives on the water, and he saw what, what Gary say. I think on December 2nd, he saw a couple of guys on jet skis tooling around in the middle channel. And Gary just shook his head. Thought, what in the world? What are they thinking? Well, one way they could do that is because they donned these things we call wetsuits. Similar to some things that people put on when they go down in the water. Daniel, you've done this several times, right? You go down, you've got to fix something under the water so you don't don that wetsuit, snorkel gear, and you head down, or the scuba gear, and you head down and do the work that you need to do. You can be in that culture, immersed in a culture that to many it could snuff out your life, but you've got the source around you protect you from the culture. And that's the credible power of the Holy Spirit. That he surrounds you and he indwells you and he enables you to live faithful to God in the midst of a culture. Oh yeah, you can be a knucklehead and, and think, well, I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to wear that. I'm just going to go out there and do it myself. No, you can't. This isn't a matter of just have stronger will and you'll be able to stand strong. No, it, it requires a spirit of dependence on a God who is stronger. A God that seeks to, to proclaim his redemption to the world that is hostile to him because there's some that will hear his truth and it will resonate in their hearts and they'll be drawn to him. And God would see my kingdom is growing. This is how I've designed it, to send my light into the world that hates me because there's some that will turn to me, some that I have called to be part of my kingdom. That's the message of Daniel. God rules. He's sovereignly at work. God gives, God takes away. God rules. And he's called us to live faithfully in his culture. These next six weeks are going to be fun. There's some exciting stories in Daniel, as a number of you know. There's so many messages in it that's going to impact our life. And here's my dream. My dream is that seven or eight weeks from now, after we've gone through this study, there'll be some that will be so compelled by this God that you will say, I want the world to know that I've chosen to follow him. That that's a God that I want reigning in my life. And we're going to bring the baptismal tank out here. And there's going to be several of you that have now coming in front of the rest of the world and say, for the very first time, I want the world to know that I'm giving my life to Jesus because he rules, he reigns. And there's some that maybe you've, you've been a believer and you've been baptized, you've proclaimed that, but you've you found yourself getting caught up in the snares of this world and you've found the influence has, has affected you and you want to renew your resolve. And you'll be able to gather as we worship to say, I have a new commitment to my God to live for him in this age, regardless of the cost. And regardless of how the elections go later this year, I'm going to know that God's in charge. He rules and reigns. He gets the deciding vote. I can trust that. There's some that are going to experience some things, that, and you're going to say, oh, that sure looks like God's out of control. But you're going to say, no, buddy, I know he's not. Because faithfully, God has been working in every human culture, and he's not going to stop now. God reigns. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being so faithful to your promise. To be a God regardless of the things that come against us,
and against you. I thank you for being a God that, Lord, has a future in, in mind and store. You've written the chapter of the future already. Lord, you've de- declared that one day you will wipe away every tear from our eye. One day the dwelling of, of God will be with us. And the world will be right again. Until then, Lord, we're going to cling to you. We're going to cling to this truth that you are faithful, that you are ruling, and you are a God that will care for us as we remain loyal to you. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for your invitation to come to you and experience all that you have for us, Lord. And may you hear us as we sing this song, as we respond to your invitation to come to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.